Views, information, or opinions expressed during CORE, the podcast series, are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Southern Methodist University and its employees. Welcome listeners to CORE, the podcast. CORE is a board of SMU students who plan and host the Women's Symposium every year. This year, the symposium will be held virtually in the first week of March. Please stay tuned for more information about what we planned for this year's symposium in the coming weeks. Today, we will kick off a series of podcasts to spotlight our Profiles and Leadership Award nominees and recipients. Episodes will be released each week up until the Women's Symposium. These women are recognized for for going above and beyond to empower women in their personal and professional lives. In these episodes, we will hear first-person accounts of their stories. On today's episode, I will be interviewing our first awardee. My name is Caitlin Kernander, and I am a senior student at Southern Methodist University double majoring in mechanical engineering and mathematics. It is my pleasure to introduce today's guest, Marsha Clark, who is the owner and founder of Marsha Clark and Associates. Marsha, thank you for joining me today. Well, Caitlin, it's my pleasure and I feel very honored to have been selected as a a recipient of this award. Um, As a longtime uh, uh, citizen of the Dallas area, um, I know SMU well, I've taught there in various ways and sorts. And so this is a special, special treat. Special treat for me as well. Uh, To start off, could you share with our listeners more about your work with Marsha Clark and Associates? Sure. So I had uh, come from a 20 plus year career in a technology company here in Dallas. And in that time period, uh, I started there as a secretary in 1978. And in that time, Um, That was a lot of what women did. If they had a business um, desire, they Mm. had opportunities to be in some typically an administrative support role. And over my 21 years at a company called EDS, um, uh, I rose to the ranks of being one of 44 corporate officers. And so uh, I think about uh, how... (laughs) Congratulations, uh, that's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, starting at one of those bottom rungs of the ladder and, you know, Mm -hmm. climbing my way up to the top. And um, I really, uh, during that time, I I really felt like leadership was one of the things that uh, helped me to be able to accomplish what I accomplished. And uh, EDS was a company that rewarded you based on what you got done and the good relationships that you had. It wasn't about tenure. It wasn't about good old boy network. It wasn't about any of those things. So if you performed well and you had good relationships, then you had opportunity. And and so I got to see the company uh, from all rungs of the ladder. And I spent Mm -hmm. about half my time there on the business facing side. So customer facing side um, where I uh, was um, both an account executive at one of our large financial services account, and then also the uh, strategic business unit president for our healthcare business unit, where I managed about 2,500 people around the world. Oh my God. And um, <laughs> had around 40 clients. And in today's world, it would have been close to a billion mm-hmm. in revenue that I was responsible for. Mm-hmm. And so the other half was spent in support type functions. So I've run all mm-hmm. kinds of the HR, strategic alliances, mergers, acquisitions, that sort of thing. And and so I, I, I don't give short answers. So let me just say no, that. No, yeah, um, I'm enjoying but, this so much. Keep going. Okay. So uh, what I when I left there, uh, I, I, I'll be honest with you, I was in my late 40s and I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I, I had built up enough financial security where I didn't have to work. And so I laughingly say that took me about a month to 
um, catch up on my sleep, uh, organize my junk drawers, clean out the closets and do 20 years worth of filing. And after I've done that, it's like, well, what do I do now? <laughs> you know, kind of thing. So mm -hmm. uh, I, I knew that I uh, wanted to work in the space of business and leadership. And I had gone back to school to get my master's of science in organization development. And I, so I went back to school at the ripe old age of 46 because it was something that I had always wanted to do. And so in starting my business, uh, here's what I, here's where it comes together about women. Um, I knew that women did leadership different than men. I knew there were some basic principles and tenets that no matter who you are or what gender you were, that you did these things. And then I also knew that there were some things that I did differently. And again, I go back to say, if you got the results at EDS, they didn't care how you did that as long as it was ethical and, you know, fair mm -hmm. and just and those kinds of things. And I used to tease the guys at EDS that says, you get things done, I get things done. The difference is they want to work for me again. <laughs> so, so my relationship stuff was really important. And it was, and I think it's a, a gift and a skill that women bring to the table. And so I knew I wanted to work with women. And the way it's evolved is that uh, I do leadership and executive development, primarily through executive coaching and programming. And so I've done uh, everything from brown bag lunch and learn sessions with women's groups, speaking to you know, employee resource groups, speaking to book clubs, speaking at conferences, speaking at you know, various symposiums and so on. And then I also have done uh, longer term programs mm -hmm. where, uh, you know, it's 12 days, it's 20 days, it's six days. And so programming and coaching is the way I deliver the, my services through around uh, leadership and executive development. Um, and my specialty is with women. And yeah. um, I want to help women achieve success based on their definition of success and being an authentic female, powerful leader, not conforming to someone else's definition of what leadership looks like and not thinking that I have to do something with my career because somebody else thinks I ought to. I get to decide that. <laughs> so that's my motivation. And that's what I try to deliver in um, both the coaching and the programs that I do. Yeah. And I really like hearing that what you're talking about, about doing like your leadership and following your path, not based on others around you as like a senior in college. That's like, it feels like that's the only thing I felt like going through high school and college is what path do I take based on what people expect from around right. me. So, and I think just now that I'm starting to realize that it doesn't really matter. It matters, but like me recognizing what the path is like for myself. Um, but going along with that, I'm curious to know, so you started, um, one program called Power of Self, which my understanding is that you do that through Marsha Clark and Associates, Yes. right? So yes. you start that back in 1999, 2000. So I'm really curious to know in the past 20 years, how has the leadership changed? Like, especially mm -hmm. focusing on women and their development leadership, what has stayed the same? Just what's your experience been over the past 20 years with coaching and teaching leadership? So Caitlin, I get asked that question quite a bit because mm -hmm. I, my work has spanned such a period of time. Mm -hmm. So I will tell you, there's three things that, that I, I know are true. One is that um, 
there used to be one book about women in leadership that came out every year or so and everybody ran to get it because it was like okay we got another one (laughs) and so now if you look at the number of books coming out you know every week or every day Mm -hmm. or whatever there's a lot more written about women's leadership and there's a lot more research specific to women Um, because if you go back and you look I remember in the 90s if you think about the old fight or flight you know how people perform under under stress yes that was based on a man's response not a woman's and I think it was the University of Pennsylvania did a study and said women our response to stress is tend or befriend not fight or flight. There may be some aspect of that, but it was like, oh my gosh, now that there are women in the research, we get a broader definition of what that looks like because our tending and befriending is we'll go, when we get under stress, does this sound familiar to any of you? I'll go clean off my desk. I'll consolidate my to-do list. I'll go feel like I'm getting something accomplished because I'm feeling, you know, overwhelmed. Or I call up a friend and we commiserate together or have a glass of wine. <laughs> yeah, I reorganize my dorm room. So you hit it right, there, the, there not right on the nail. That's what we do. And so, you know, expanding that from everything from how we handle risk or how we do strategic thinking and all of that, there's so much more information on that kind of thing today. Mm-hmm. So that has changed dramatically. So updating and keeping up with what we're learning about ourselves and what the world is learning about us. So more written is one thing. The second is about risk. So there was a lot written initially that women weren't as big a risk takers as men. As that has been studied more, what we've learned is that women take as much risk as men do. We just have a backup plan. <laughs> so, so We're ready. You know, so what happens is it doesn't look as risky because we can fall to plan B and go make that work. And, you know, it doesn't, and and so plan B is a safer plan and we make it happen. And so this idea, I I laughingly say, men will jump off the cliff without a parachute. We always have a parachute. We're, you know, kind of thinking about those kinds of things. Like I want to live through that jump. (laughs) That's right. That's right. And then the third thing, and this is one that I, I love the whole concept of what we're doing today, what you're doing as a part of, you know, your program and the women's symposium and so on, is women are much better at supporting each other now than they've ever been. Because I will tell you, in the early days, uh, I can't tell you how many women came into the programs and the coaching relationships with the I hate working with women. I don't like women, Uh, you know, women this and women that there was all this going on. And so uh, I love that we have figured out that if we're, if we're going to get ahead, we need each other to do it. And um, again, I'll tell you one of my EDS stories. So at one point in my later in my career there, it just so happened, and it was not by like an intentional design, but I had all women in my office. They were all mm-hmm. my direct reports were women, and everybody in my little, you know, suite of offices was women. And so I had some guy come in one day and say, Well, look at this. What do you got here? The chick click. Oh. And I looked around and I kind of said, Well, I guess I do. <laughs> and he said, Well, is that is that being, you know, diverse and inclusive? And I don't even know if we use the word inclusive back in those days, mm. but you know. I said, well, okay, so look at your, go look at your own suite of offices. Who's the only woman in there? Your secretary or your, you know, executive mm. assistant. I said, so don't give me any of that. Because see, and that's, 
that's one of the beauties of me doing what I'm doing. I've had some senior roles, and so you can't you can't fool me. You can't blow smoke up my skirt, as we've often said. <laughs> and I can empathize with my clients because they have hard, big jobs. You know, whether it's men or women, and so it's 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 been a fun thing to pay attention to and notice as those things have changed. So, you know, more research about us. The we are we do take risks. We have a backup plan, and the third is women are much better at supporting each other these days. Yeah, especially that third one. I mean, core itself, that's what it's built on, especially the women's symposium, mm-hmm. like you talked about. Um, it's something that I've experienced as well. And that I found is it seems like starting off in leadership positions, you feel somewhat of that competition, but then you come to realize that it doesn't really need to be a competition. And I think that's one of the most thrilling things I've learned over the, my years um, being involved in leadership and the opportunities um, with organizations of being a leader is the support that you get from other women, friends, peers, um, through classes, right. extracurriculars. Um, it makes it so much more enjoyable too, um, <laughs> to work with your friends. Well, let, um, me, let me leave you with this phrase because it's mm. one that Roz Dawson gave me from the Texas Women's Foundation. And she said, when you get a seat at the table as a woman, uh, scoot over and pull up another chair, right? Yes. So I love that concept, right? We did fight to get that seat at the table. My generation fought hard, right? Mm-hmm. And and I I still have never worked for a woman. I, I never have in my really? business. No, there weren't any. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, you know, the idea of scoot over and pull up another chair for another woman is huge. And I, I, I love the sentiment and just the simplicity of that. I love that too. Um, to pull up that chair though, I'm curious about like in your work, how do you encourage someone to get to their full potential? Like you said, you've worked with many women, uh, some short, like just like lunch and learn, um, others like 12 week long programs. So working with all these organizations, sometimes you're large groups, sometimes more individual. How have you gone about helping women to reach their full potential coming from such diverse backgrounds and experiences? I'm curious about the challenges, the fun and all yeah. that. So here's what I'll tell you. The research from the Center for Creative Leadership says that the biggest derailers or showstoppers to effective leadership is the lack of self-awareness. And the way I teach that is I think I'm showing up to the world one way and the world is seeing me a different way, right? You know, we're not, we're not on the same page. And so this lack of self-awareness, we spend an entire several days uh, talking about what does it mean to be a woman? What does it mean to be a leader? What does it mean to be powerful? What does it mean to be a powerful woman leader? Mm-hmm. So we begin to, we wrestle with the word power because women often see power based on our own experiences as power over me. And women, are, um, the masculine model is typically a hierarchical model where positional power, there's a one up, one down relationship. And women live in a flat structure. This is based on the research of Dr. Patricia Heim. And this flat structure is we're all in this together, right? So one big happy family. And so when when we're fighting about who's got more power versus we're all in this together is a part of when I begin to embrace that that's a part of who I am and that it works really well in these scenarios, but over here, I have to also own my hierarchical or my positional power. So I can't be afraid of being the boss, you know, and saying this is the way we're going to do it. So one of the basic premises I have around leadership, and this is what helps people get to be, to find their authentic self, Mm 
-hmm. is knowing what tool to use when. Some women come into my programs and say, I've been told I'm too hard. You got to help me Mm. soften up. I have other women come in the program and say, I've been told I'm too soft. You got to help me harden up. And so I want to help women find all the parts of themselves and be able to pull from that. But what's most important in that is to understand what is the situation? What does it call for? What am I trying to accomplish? And then then decide what's the best tool to go use. And sometimes I might need to be loud and directive. And sometimes I might need to be quiet and listen. And so the, the topics that we cover and what I find when women come into women only programs, the content itself, I can teach men and women, mm-hmm. uh, all of it. Yeah. But what's different is when it's all women, we have conversations and ask questions and share experiences that we would never share if there were men in the room. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I find that women, this idea of who am I? If I'm often the only woman in, uh, you know, in the executive team or on a leadership team or in the room, so to speak, I can think it's just about me and I won't even recognize it as being a gender issue. And so when I'm in a room with other women and I go, oh, you've had that experience. Oh, my gosh, I thought I was crazy or I thought I (laughs) was, you know, less than or not as smart as or too slow or whatever. Oh, my gosh. And then we begin to say, well, then how do I put myself out there in such a way that my voice can be heard. And I do everything from teach women how to get their voice in the room, uh, you know, when everybody else is doing a lot of this. Yes. The research shows that men talk 70% of the time in most, mm-hmm. even if they're the only men in the room and there's a group of people, they'll still talk 70% of the time. So how do we get in our, you know, our voice in the room? Well, women, we're more likely to raise our hands and ask for permission versus men just, you know, blurt it out. And I know these are, this is all bell-shaped curve, you know, research and there's exceptions mm-hmm. to everything. But yes, we've got to, we've got to get to know who we are at our very core. And so we spend topics, days, conversations, exercises, starting and think of a bullseye and that center Mm -hmm. ring of the bullseye is me. (laughs) And I got to start with me. Then I'm going to talk about how to work your way out. Yeah. Who am I from an interpersonal standpoint? Who am I as a, a, a leading a team? Who am I within the organization? Who am I within the market or the community or the society in which I live? And so it gets bigger, but it all I always start with the self-awareness piece, because if I don't know me, I can't show up in the way I want to show up in the world. So we use a lot of assessments. We do a lot of feedback sessions. Um, and then we just have all kinds of conversations to share stories and recognize that we're not alone. So speaking about getting to know yourself first, I'm uh, Marsha, for you specifically, you talked about starting as a secretary and working your way up. Were there times in that journey for you where you were uncertain or not sure of where to go and how to navigate that? Um, like you said, like the generation of women before me have um, found that seat at the table and trying to pull that chair forward with them. So I recognize you as one of those women who found that seat at that table. And so what was your journey like getting there? When did you did you experience times of uncertainty? And then what was that like for you? Like, how'd you work out of that? So absolutely is the answer. I felt all kinds of moments of uncertainty. And again, this is quite honestly, uh, oftentimes a woman thing. So whether you believe in or have read about the imposter phenomena, where I'm afraid mm. somebody's going to figure out that I don't know everything I think I know. Yes. <laughs> but I'll also tell you that 
I was blessed to have to work with men who could see things in me that I couldn't see in myself because Mm -hmm. I didn't have a model you know, or a role model to look yeah. at or 17,000 examples of, because even today, when you say the word leader, most people relate that to a man, not to a woman. And so this idea was, I'll be honest with you, people came and said, Marsha, we want you to go over there. And I'd say, okay. <laughs> so I didn't, I never in my corporate career said, I want to be that. And it's one of the things that I work with women on today, because it's easier to help somebody who knows what they want than being opportunistic and waiting for the opportunity to present itself to you. And, and, and if it doesn't, then you stay where you are. Mm -hmm. And so I want to help women get clear about what they want. And this idea of when women, this is again, some of Dr. Himes research, when women are presented with a new situation, we're going to tell you everything we don't know before we tell you what we do know. And for us, that's a matter of telling you the truth. And we want you to know who you're getting, right? I mean, mm-hmm. this is me. And I want you to make sure you're, I'm the right person for you. If you look at men, they'll say, sure, I can figure that out. Because they rely more on, I've been in several new situations. I always figure it out and I can do it again. Mm-hmm. So for them, it's a matter of, you know, adventure. And let's go try yes. this, you know, kind of thing. And so what happens with that? And here's my personal story of it. Mm-hmm. When when my boss came to me and said, as of tomorrow, you're the president of the healthcare SBU, you know what my first words were? I don't know anything about healthcare. <laughs> I, and my, I and my mm-hmm. family are really pretty healthy. I, I can't even remember the last time I had to file a health claim. I don't know anything about healthcare. <laughs> so let me tell you everything I don't know, right? Oh, no. And he said, I'm not putting you over there because you know, you don't you, you need to know healthcare. You got 2,500 people who know healthcare. I need you to go over there, fix the customer relationships, fix the employees and motivate them and inspire them. I need you to, you know, work with that. So, uh, but I immediately went to, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And so um, I think that's our natural tendency. If you've read the Lean In book, you know, the, um, Cheryl Sandberg talks about there's mm-hmm. if, if there's a job with 10 requirements and a woman has eight of them, she won't apply yes. for the job. If a yes. man has five or something, he will, right? And that's mm-hmm. the way it manifests itself. And so I say, go for it. You may not get whatever it is, you know, you want, but I, I've got lots of tools that I share with my clients, both in programs and in coaching mm-hmm. about helping to get clearer about the kind of role you want and then going after it, figuring out how to go after it. And seeing it through, going after it, just trying it, seeing it through. Um, we are running low on time here for the conclusion of our 20 minutes. Um, it's just a final question to kind of wrap up. Um, but what, looking to the future, what do you think in the next 10, 20 years, the future for women in leadership looks like? My, uh, I get asked this question too quite a bit. Mm-hmm. I want to see a woman president. That if, if, yeah. I, if I... I can die. We got pretty close. We got VP. And I don't want it to be just a woman president because mm-hmm. it's a woman president. I want it yeah. to be a strong woman leader. I want, I think we need a more, uh, more feminine model of leadership in the world. Um, mm-hmm. I think it would serve us really well. And I think it's honoring the gifts that we bring to the table. Again, not dishonoring anything that men bring. It's just we need all of it, right? I mean, it's that balance of it all. And so uh, I think that uh, my belief is that with 
our first female vice president, mm-hmm. that things will never be the same again. Now, that said, let mm-hmm. me let me say to all of you young women, I grew up in high school in the 60s. Mm-hmm. And there was uh, a lot of racial strife. My senior year, the uh, black school is what they called it, uh, integrated with my school. So they shut that school down and brought it over. And I lived through racial violence. I lived through the Vietnam War. I lived through the assassination of Bobby Kennedy and Martin Luther King, all of that. So I Mm -hmm. know what that looks like. And there was a a professor that I read his story recently, and he predicts societal shifts. And in Mm -hmm. the year 2000, he predicted that the year 2020 would be a year of upheaval. And I thought, how did he do that? Mm-hmm. Well, so here's the thing he's, that, that if, if you go back and look at it, it happens about every 50 years. Mm-hmm. So it was 51 years ago that I graduated from high school. Wow. And oh my here gosh. we are. And 50 years before that was when women got the vote. Mm-hmm. Yes. And Jim Crow laws and all of that. Mm-hmm. 50 years before that, it was the Civil War. So when you think about things that are happening, that are major societal upheavals, it happens about every 50 years. So I know you asked for 10. I'm going to give you a 50-year window and say, yeah. <laughs> here's what happens. We make progress mm-hmm. immediately following those big events. Yeah. But there, then we either get lackadaisical about it, apathetic mm-hmm. about it, or take things for granted or lose interest. Mm-hmm. And ladies, we cannot lose interest. And here's what I'm saying. The door's a little wider open right now. Get as many people through that as far and as fast as you can, because it will it will it will narrow. It may shut. Who knows? So you've got to make the most progress. And if you can get out there 10 steps, even mm-hmm. if you back up three, you're seven steps further than where we are today. And so I think we've got to we've got to make it happen. (laughs) And, you know, you've read all the good girls don't get the corner office or, Mm -hmm. you know, you got to break a little glass or, you know, nice girls don't make history. There's all those little, you know, adages out there. And um, you have to know, and I'll also tell you this, know what your values and principles are Mm -hmm. and act accordingly, because that's a part of what knowing me is and stand on principle. And there's a line from a movie called The Contender. It's an older movie, but I love the line. Principles are only principles when they're when you practice them when they're inconvenient. So just think about that a minute. You know, I can flip flop, flip flop, flip flop to kind of go with the you know tone of the day. But if it's my principle, mm-hmm. and my principles are a lot around treat every human being with dignity and respect. One of my new favorite t-shirts is humankind, be both, right? I think you gotta be both. And and mm-hmm. um, that's what I would say is go as far and as fast as you can, stand on principle and uh, be inclusive. Yeah, well, I wanna go through that door for sure. Um, it was been so great talking with you today, Marsha. Um, we're going to wrap up our We'll interview here. Um, in our final 10 minutes, I'd like to open the floor, so to speak, um, to the fellow core members who are with us today to ask some of their burning questions. Because I know I've been um, with you for this amount of time to let them have their voices heard a little bit. Thank you so much. You bet. 
So I just wanted to take a second to thank you for um, all of your wisdom and all of your advice and your story today. Um, it's been fantastic. Uh, my question for you is, um, as you said, you know, women and their leadership and what we know about it have changed a lot um, in the past 50 years even. And I wanted to know what advice you'd give to college aged or young uh, professionals, young adults, um, and women that are about to enter the workforce and, you know, have the, be on their own two feet for the first time um, and what you would, what you would say to them. Okay, there's two things. One would be negotiate a good starting salary and make it market value based and don't accept anything less. I tell women all the time, know your market value and it is, uh, it's, you can't negotiate after you've said yes. So you got to negotiate before you say yes. And uh, you never overcome a, a lower starting salary. You're behind forever, right? So you got to know your market value and you've got you've to negotiate it before you say yes. So that's one thing. The second thing is, uh, okay, I'm sorry, I can't give short answers, but but here's what I want to tell you. When women are in their 20s, this is my anecdotal experience. When women are in their 20s, older women like me might tell you, you we, need to, we need to mentor you. We need to bring you in and kind of smooth off those rough edges because you're, you're too much, you know, you're too whatever. And I'm saying... You want to be smart, but don't let them take the fire out of you. Stay true to yourself. Do it in a principled way and not for personal gain, but, but in service to the larger good. And so this idea of we got to smooth your edges off, don't let them do that. So, so and, and yet be smart about it. Find some good mentors and sponsors. And what that means is, uh, mentors can help you navigate whatever the new organization is that you might join, you know, following your college career. So those are mentors can typically help you inside the organization. Sponsors are people who are willing to put their own political capital on the line for you. So find a way to work on big projects, uh, rub shoulders with the people who are influential and build those relationships and show them what you got. Right. And their sponsors are people who support you when people are talking about you when you're not in the room. And I'll mm -hmm. tell you who the best sponsors are according to the catalyst research, men sponsors. They're men who had a strong mother, had more sisters than brothers or have daughters. So if you're in the selection process of who you might want to be your sponsor, there's a profile for you because they, it, it's fascinating. When a, when a daughter comes home and tells her dad, you're not going to believe what they did to me at work today. All of a sudden he pays attention. If his wife had come home and said the same thing, it'd be like, uh-huh. <laughs> so, I mean, again, I'm being a bit facetious about this, but, you know, thinking about that contrast, it, you're my baby girl, right? I mean, I got to take care. So I have an affinity to understand more about what it's like. So finding that profile is, is just a little bit of a distinction or a nuance that might give you an edge. Awesome, thank you so much. You bet. Yeah, my question is sort of along those lines. So me and my mom were talking about um, COVID. I'm going into the engineering field in, which is very male dominated mm -hmm. um, with people who don't necessarily look like me. And the question that we were sort of 
grappling with is how will COVID affect women in the workforce? Because what if we want to have kids? Who's going to be taking off? Um, my mom just switched from working um, like every single day to working a 410 type of schedule. Um, so how do you come home after working 10 hours a day, two kids? Um, so do you have any perspectives? Imagine my head exploding with this question. Um, so uh, the, 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 the challenge of work-life balance has been a forever question. Um, so what I wanna say is, measure your balance in your life on the last day you, on the, on the day you die, because there will be on any given day, week or month, it'll be, you'll be a hundred percent this way or a hundred percent the other way. And you want to work for an organization that understands that you're a whole person and that, you know, you don't, you have a personal life as well as a business life. And mm -hmm. I think the working from home flexibility and the demonstration of what COVID has shown us that work can get done uh, while you're working from home is a real plus for women. Now, that said, I also want to say McKinsey, along with the Lean In organization, leanin.org, just completed a study. And if you haven't read it, you need to look at it, find it, because I think you can go online and find it. If not, let me know and I'll send it to you. So what they said is that one third of women uh, are choosing or considering to either step back or step down from their responsibilities because the research shows that women work about as many hours as men do at work, which is in the United States, somewhere between 58 and 62 hours a week. Women, in addition, come home and work another 35 hours doing domestic work, men on average five. So we have two full-time jobs just like that. So uh, one is find a good spouse if you choose to get married or choose to have a partner or whatever that may be have one that's going to uh, help you out, right? I, I was blessed with a husband before. I think men today are much more involved, engaged, and partners are much more in a dual relationship for mm -hmm. parenting and domestic chores and so on. I think that bodes well. Uh, but I came from a generation where my husband got ridiculed because he was a stay-at-home dad starting in 1990, and he was one of the few. And I got all kinds of credit for being, you know, sort of forging paths for women in the boardroom. He got no credit for being a stay-at-home dad and a good father to our son. And so you got to have a good partner. You have to uh, recognize the, the balance that you're looking for. And, and uh, there was a, a syndicated writer named Irma Bombeck who said, women can have it all. We just can't have it all at the same time. So you're going to go through seasons of life. As a single person, as a married person or, or in relationship person with children and then aging parents. And I mean, women go through a lot more different seasons or phases in our lives. So don't um, don't lose heart if you're not getting everything you want immediately. Just know that this is what's most important to me now. And so you need to be refreshing your goals and aspirations, staying clear to them, uh, but knowing that you don't have to have everything right this minute and that you'll never, you'll have good days, but you got to look at it on balance, not in some, you know, microcosm snapshot because you're out of, you're, you could be out of whack either way. 
but work for an organization that values you as a whole person. And then the other things that I mentioned, is that helpful? Yes, that's extremely helpful. Um, I think, especially like our generation, we get so zoomed in, pun pun not intended, but (laughs) on just like our four years and the path that Caitlin was talking about, that we don't get to see the greater scheme of things. But I definitely agree. My dad was a stay-at-home dad for a portion of my life. And I'm glad that there is becoming a more acceptable wave of stay-at-home dads because that's equally needed. So thank you so much for your amazing answer. Well, I will tell you all this. I think um, perspective is one of the most important things that you gain in being a strong leader of any sort, men or women. And in order to have perspective, you got to have a lot of experiences. And sometimes that just takes a little time. And you can accelerate that by working on different kinds of projects and having a variety of assignments and bosses and roles and so on. But perspective is extraordinarily important. Don't lose sight of that. Okay, that will conclude the questions we take. Thank you again so much, Marsha Clark, for joining us today. Um, It's been such a privilege to talk with you. Really appreciate your time and the wisdom that you've shared with us today. I know I will be thinking long and hard about everything that you've said today. Um, It's been really inspiring to listen to. Um, I think I can speak with confidence for everyone here. And I hope our listeners also enjoyed it as well. And look forward to our next episode coming in the next week. And hope to see you all at the Women's Symposium in the first week of March. Thank you. Thank you.